let's in prayer go to the God who conquered the grave, the God to whom nothing is impossible, the God who loved you enough that while you were a sinner to send his son to die for you, and now if you're a son or a daughter of God, how will he not also along with Christ graciously give you all things that you need? Let's pray. Thank you, Father. Thank you for the indescribable gift of your Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you that sin has been paid for. The grave has been defeated. Thank you that this life now can have meaning and purpose. That hope can be burning bright and really undefeatable in us because of the all-conquering power of Jesus Christ. Thank you for your spirit that comes to live in those who have accepted your Son as their Savior. Thank you for the truth, this, this book of truth from you that we are going to look at this morning. Oh, thank you so much for your truth. The light that it sheds, direction that it gives, lies that it defeats, the healing that it brings. Thank you. Do all of that and more today as your truth is shared. God, help me to share it through the power of your Spirit. Keep me out of the way. Let Jesus Christ, His person and His work be glorified. Pray that the blinders of the enemy, that anything that would distract from understanding Embracing your truth today just would be removed. The eyes and hearts and minds would be opened to hear, to believe, to see, understand, and the wills be engaged to apply. You're going to call us to do something very specific today in the text that we are studying. Give us the courage to hear and to act. Lord. And then, Lord, thank you for prayer. Just the opportunity that we have right now as a, as a body just to come to you and say, God, we are, we're here to meet with you and here to worship you and to hear from you. We're also here to receive answers to prayer from you. I know that there are so many in this room right now that have great needs. You know each one of them. I'm asking that you would meet them according to your riches in Christ. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. You may be seated. Please open up your Bibles to 
Romans chapter 6. We are going to continue our study, Paul's letter to the church at Rome. Put your finger there, Romans chapter 6. We're going to begin with verse 12. Last week we looked at verse 12 and the first half of verse 13, but I want to read these three verses, kind of a unit of thought here, and we'll just walk through them one at a time here. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 6, verse 12, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness, for sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. Last week as we looked at verses 12 and the first part of verse 13, we looked at what Paul said the believer, the follower of Christ must not do. We're going to look at the positive side of the principle today. We're going to look specifically in verse 13 at two things that Paul says that the believer must do. Now let me just begin by spotlighting them. I'm going to isolate them from everything else there and just state them so that you, as we begin, see the answer to this question. The question is this, what must the believer do? What is Paul calling, instructing, even commanding the believer to do? Two things in verse 13, present yourselves to God and present your members to God. Present yourselves to God in a holistic way, in a general way, your whole being, and then specifically to present your members to God. Now, before we move on to the second section of the sermon, there is something specific in order to properly, accurately interpret this verse that you need to understand about the verb to present. It's the same verb that Paul used in the beginning of verse 13 where he said, do not present your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. Same verb, that verb to present. But here in the latter part of verse 13, when he tells us to present ourselves to God and present our members to God, he uses a different tense of the verb. And it is very significant, the change that takes place there. The tense of the verb that he used on the negative side of the principle, do not present your members to sin. It was in the present tense as a continuing action, meaning this. It is, if it was stated or written literally, it would be as if Paul had written this. Do not constantly yield the members of your body as instruments unto sin. It's just this ongoing, constant idea in that verb to present. Do not do that. 
but in the positive side of the command to present ourselves to God and to present our members to God, he changes the tense of the verb to an errorist tense. And that is different than the present tense. And the errorist tense means this. It is talking about a once and for all time decision. It is a determined decision that is to be followed with a decisive act of the will to be done at a specific moment in time where you bring yourself to God and you present yourself holistically to God and then generally the specific parts of your mortal body to God and say to God, God, I am giving these to you. I want you to use these as your instruments for righteousness in this world. Now that is different than the ongoing present tense of the verb on the negative side of the principle. Let me try to even make that a little clearer. If Paul would have used the present tense as he did on the negative side of the principle, it would have been something like this that Paul would have been instructing us to do. That we are to every day to strive as we get up every day to be presenting ourselves to God and to say to God, God, I want this day to be your day. I want to, whatever comes my way in the details of life today, I want to live it for you. Now, I am not saying that you should not do that. You absolutely should do that. What I am saying is that's not what Paul wrote in Romans chapter 6, verse 13, in the middle of that verse. What he wrote was that in a moment of time, you are to make a decisive act and follow through with that decision and come to God and make a presentation, a once and for all time presentation or yielding of yourselves Overall, your whole being, and then each individual member of this mortal body, you're to present it to God and say, God, I want this to be yours for your glory, for your righteousness. So that is the answer. We're going to come back to that at the end of the message. But I wanted you to see the distinction there in answering the question, what specifically is Paul calling us to do? And that specifically is what he is calling us to do in Romans chapter 6 in the middle of verse 13. Here's the second question based upon that. Why are we to do that? Why is the follower of Christ to present themselves in a holistic way and each individual part in a moment, in a once and for all time decision to God to live for righteousness? He answers that three times right here in the text. It's really incredible. He answers it the first time immediately before he tells you to do it in verse 12. And then right in the middle of telling you to do that, he answers why again right in mid-sentence. And then as soon as he finishes telling you what to do, in verse 14, he tells you again why you should do that. Let me show you all three of those. 
First of all, immediately preceding, verse 12, it's focused in on the word therefore. Therefore. He is coming to a great conclusion. In Romans chapter 5, we've been going over this. If you've been here for the last many weeks, we've been going over and over this as we've walked down through here. But from Romans chapter 5, verse 12, all the way down to Romans chapter 6, verse 10, in that entire chapter, he has been talking about the believer's union with Christ. He has been teaching us about the doctrine of what it means at salvation when the believer is baptized into the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't mean the water, the baptismal water. I'm talking about what the Holy Spirit does when you accept Christ as your Savior. He puts you into Jesus Christ. He unites you to Christ. And so Paul has been talking about that union and what it means. And the summary statement of what it means comes in Romans chapter 6, verse 11. At the end of that entire chapter of doctrinal treatment about our union with Christ, he summarizes and concludes it with this statement in Romans 6, verse 11. He says, Consider yourselves also dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. He says, Everything that I've been telling you there that was true of Christ is true of you. What's true of Christ? He died to sin. That doesn't mean he died for sin. Not that he died to pay your penalty, though he did that, but he also died unto sin or to sin, meaning that when he died, he was finished once and for all time with this relationship that he had entered into to come into this world to pay for your sin. He had lived an eternal existence in glory, in majesty in heaven for an eternity past, but for a little slice of history. Jesus Christ left all of that. He made himself nothing, stepped into the very nature of humanity, came to our earth, and when he did that, he subjected himself to come into this realm where sin ruled. Never had he been in that relationship to sin. He actually stepped into the realm where sin ruled in death, where sin had dominion, and he subjected himself to live here in that relationship to sin. Even though he was God over all, he humbled himself and subjected himself to live here for a while with his glory veiled in human flesh, living according to the rules of humanity in the realm where sin reigned. But then when he died on the cross, he not only died for sin, he died to sin or unto it, meaning he ended his relationship to sin that he had entered into for you and me once and for all. 
never to return into that relationship again. To go back to his exalted position as God ruling in heaven. And so he not only died to sin, but he rose to new, not, new life. And what the doctrine of your union with Christ means is this, Romans 6, 11. Just as that is true of Christ, it's true of you if you're a believer. And so Paul then comes to Romans 6, 12, and he says, Therefore, based upon all of that truth about you if you are saved, based upon the truth that you have totally and completely in your personhood, in your soul, died to sin and been raised to new life, based upon that reality, here's what you need to do. You need to no longer present the members of your mortal body to sin. How can you? You died to it. But you are to present yourselves and your members to God for righteousness. So you just you see the logical conclusion that he is making here. God brought you from death to life. He made you alive again. He put you in a brand new existence. And what you need to do with this new life that God gave you, you need to live it for him. You're not related anymore. You're not bound and under the rule and dominion of sin anymore. So don't live like you are. That's the logic. And he says that immediately before he tells us what to do in Romans 6.13. That's the why. But then as soon as he tells us what to do, then he states it again right in mid-sentence in verse 13. Listen to it. That you are those who have been brought from death to life. He is saying the same thing over again. Why should you present yourselves to God? Because you are those who have been brought from death to life. You were dead in sin, but now through Christ you have died to sin and been risen to brand new life. You have a brand new existence. That's not who you are anymore. You are brand new. What's true of Christ is true of you. Based upon that fact, present yourselves to God. And then as soon as he finishes the instruction in verse 14, he comes right back to the same idea immediately, and he says this. For, why? Because of sin shall have no dominion over you because you are not under law but under grace. You are not into that realm anymore. You don't live where sin rules anymore. You are not under the reign of death anymore. You have died to sin and been resurrected into a brand new existence. So listen, don't live by presenting the members of your body to sin anymore. Instead, present yourselves to God holistically and present the members of your mortal body to God individually. So that's the why. All of that tells me this. If I were to kind of wrap all of that up, that why into one statement, it's this. Based upon what God has done for you and me, if you're a 
if you've been saved based upon the unbelievable grace and love and mercy of God, what you need to do is you need to take this new life that He's given you and you need to live it for God's glory. There is no greater use of life than to live it for the glory of God. So how do you do that? Jesus said in John chapter 17, right as He ended his ministry right before the cross, coming to the end of his ministry, he said, praying to his Father, Father, I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. How did Jesus live a life of glory to God? He did it by completing the work that the Father had given him to do. How are you going to live a life of glory to God? You're going to do it by completing the work that he gave you to do. Jesus did that by talking the way that the Father wanted him to talk, by thinking the way that the Father wanted him to think. These are the members of his body. By doing with his hands the things that God wanted him to do, by having his feet take him where the Father wanted him to go, by treating people the way that the Father wanted him to to treat them. You see, he brought glory to God on earth by doing what God the Father had given him to do and then ultimately by dying on the cross because that's why the Father sent him. So the question then comes to us. If what Paul is telling us to do here is to present our bodies to God and our members to God as instruments of righteousness, how are we to do that? How are we to do that? I'm going to just give you a couple of ways. I can't go through every member, but I want you to consider this. And that word consider is vital because that's the word in verse 11 of Romans chapter 6. The point is this. Having understood what the believer's union with Christ means, having understood the facts, the truths about what is yours and who you are if you have been saved, that in being united to Christ, you have been given an absolutely, completely brand new existence. One that means you have actually died to sin once and for all time. That your soul, your spirit, the essence of who you are is once and for all time forever done with sin. If you truly understand that, and not only that, but that you have been resurrected to new life with Christ. You're already seated with Him in the heavenly realms. That's what the Bible says. You're already there. When you consider and understand that, what you should do, Paul says, having understood that, is that you should bring yourself to God. And that you should present yourself to him holistically and specifically the individual 
members of your mortal body and bring them to God and say, God, these are really yours. They're not mine. I am yours, not mine. And what I am doing right now is I am recognizing who I am in you through what you've done for me and what you've made available to me through my salvation and being united to you. And so, God, here I am, and I am giving my all to you, every bit of me in totality, but then every single part of me. Here it is. I want to take them and use them for your glory by living out a righteous life by using my eyes for righteousness, my mouth and my tongue for righteousness, my hands and my feet for righteousness, the desires of my heart for righteousness, my mind and what I think about for righteousness. Paul says that is the only reasonable response if you've really considered the reality of who you are and what you have having been united to Jesus Christ. Folks, I am not saying, when I ask the question, have you done that? I'm not saying, have you been saved? You see, Paul here is writing to the Christians at Rome, to the believers at Rome, who had already placed their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me give you one verse, Romans chapter 1, verse 8. Paul said to them in the greeting of this letter, I thank my God for you, Christians at Rome. Your faith is being reported all over the world. They were world-class believers in Christ, and yet, here in Romans chapter 6, in verse 13, he says to those believers in Christ, after having explained to them the doctrine of a believer's union with Christ, he then says, based upon that, therefore, here is what you should do. You should bring yourself in a holistic way before God, and you should present yourself to God. How? In a moment in time, in a decisive decision and an act of your will, you should come to God and say, here I am. All of me is yours, but also every part of me is yours. And what I want to do is make a commitment to you right now that I want to use every one of these parts for you, for your righteousness. That's the tense of the verb, present yourself. It's not just something that you get up every day and say, I'm going to live for God today. No, it is a moment in time when you come to the understanding and you follow that with a decision and then an act of your will to do what God has told you to do and to come and present. You know, Paul does the very same thing in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 is almost a mirror to Romans chapter 6, verse 13. Because in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore. There's the word again, therefore. I appeal to you based upon what, brothers, by the mercies of God, based upon all of this incredible 
mercy of God that I've been talking to you about for 11 chapters, now in chapter 12. Therefore, here's what you should do. You should present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Let me say that another way. You should present yourselves and your members to God as instruments of righteousness. It is the same thing. Based upon the same truth that what Christ has done and who you are in Him and what He's made available to you, the only proper response is that you would come and make this presentation to God. And here is the really neat connection. The tense of the verb in Romans 12, 1 for present is the same tense of the verb from Romans chapter 6, verse 13 in the aorist tense. It means at a moment in time, make a decisive decision and follow through with an action in where you come to God and on a day at a specific time, you Present yourself and your members to Him to be used by Him. Now let me just talk about three different parts of your mortal body. See, the problem is, though we are completely new and no longer even exist if we're a follower of Christ, in our soul, in our spirit, in the realm of sin, we died to it, we still have this mortal body that lives here. We talked about that last week. We struggle with this tension between what is already true of us spiritually and eternally, but we're still dragging around this mortal body in which there is still sin and it is still tempted and we're battling with it day in and day out. And one of the key elements that you need for living in victory is that you need to present the member of your mind to God as an instrument to be used for righteous purposes. You see, the mind is really the most influential piece of your members. It is the thing that affects all that you do what you do with your mind in large part is going to determine who you are and what you become. And here's the interesting thing. Paul in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, as soon as he said present, then he identified something that you need to really give to God. In verse 2 he said, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your, your mind. Paul knew it was a key. You need to present your mind to God as one of the members, making a once and for all time decision. God, I don't want to spend my mental energy thinking about anything unrighteous. I want to spend it thinking about the righteous things. Finally, brothers, whatever is pure and lovely and admirable and noble and praiseworthy, think about such things, Paul wrote in another letter, your mind. There's another one I want to just quickly highlight, your eyes. I'm just picking three that are so influential. Your eyes. You know what your eyes are? Your eyes are the gateway into your soul. Have you presented the gates of entrance 
to God? Let me say that another way. Have you given God the keys to the gates so that he only allows what to come in that he wants to come in? And what he doesn't want to come in is not allowed in. It doesn't get by that gateway. If you are going to get victory in living for God, you are going to need to give God the gateway into your soul. You're going to need to look at things that honor Him and are about righteousness like His truth and not look at things that are going to defile. That's a big one for you, men, for me. <laughs> I, Start with me. Here's a big one really for all of us, but maybe in one aspect, bigger for the ladies. Your tongue. Your tongue. To present your tongue, your lips, your mouth to God. Have you committed to God that you only want to use your tongue to speak words that promote righteousness? Have you done that? That you will no longer use your tongue to slander anyone? You'll no longer use your tongue to criticize anyone? You'll no longer use your tongue to judge another, to ridicule another, to demean another, to gossip about another? You see, those things are unrighteousness, and your tongue is an instrument. And if you are doing those things with your tongue, you are giving that tongue to the enemy to be used as a weapon for his purposes. Instead, have you told God that you want to use your tongue to consistently give him praise and daily give him thanks? That you want to use your tongue to build others up instead of tear them down. That you want to use your tongue to share the truth with those who do not know it. That you want to use your tongue to pray for and intercede for those who are in need. That you want to use your tongue to train and equip parents, your children, in the knowledge and the ways of the Lord. Husbands, that you want to use your tongue to build up and encourage and cherish your wife. You see, that's taking your instrument, and presenting it to God and saying, I want this to be your tool, your weapon for your kingdom and your purposes. And there are a whole mortal body full of other members. Those are just three critical areas. Then he comes to verse 14, and he says, For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. For sin will have no dominion over you. What that is not that is not a command. Let me phrase it in a way that would 
be a command so you can understand what he is not saying. Paul did not write here and say, sin must not have dominion over you. That is not the thought process that Paul is communicating here. Secondly, it is not a consequence. It's not a consequence of what will be true if you do what he's telling you to do. For instance, let me phrase that in a way that would be worded as a consequence. Paul did not write, if you refuse to let sin reign over you and you deliberately and decidedly present yourself and your members to God, then the result will be that sin will not have dominion over you. That is not what Paul is saying. It's not the consequence if you do the right things. What Paul is writing here is he's given a promise. When he said, sin shall not have dominion over the follower of Christ, he's stating a promise. And it's a promise meant to encourage, meaning meant to pour courage into your life so that you will live your life for God so that you will present your members to God to be used by Him as instruments for righteousness. And why is that connection there? Why do we need to be encouraged with the promise in order to do that? Because, and this is really the grand idea of the whole section of Scripture here, because of this. Because the first key to you living a holy life is you've got to understand who you are and what has been done for you in Jesus Christ. You have to understand that you have been taken out of sin's rule and sin's reign. That never again will sin have dominion over you. And it is only when you understand that that you are ready to go to battle against sin that has been usurped instead of just rolling over and playing dead and caving into it as a follower of Christ because, oh, I'm going to sin anyway because that's just who I am. And one day when I get to heaven, that'll be taken care of. No, sin shall not have dominion over you. That includes right now. That includes right now. That doesn't mean that you will not sin, but that means means that sin, dominion is a statement about conquering. It's a statement about victory. And the promise here is that it will not have victory over you. It will not. Not it should not, not it might not, but it will not have dominion over you. It's a promise for this life right now. But it's also a promise for the life to come. Because it's a statement, it's a comprehensive statement. Do you know what the reason is that God sent His Son to redeem and deliver you? He did it so that He could entirely and eternally cleanse you of sin entirely and eternally 
cleanse you of sin, separate you forever, completely from sin. So right now, your soul, your spirit is already with him, hidden in Christ, but you are dragging around this mortal body. But one day, when Jesus Christ returns, the Bible says this, that when we see Christ, when the believer on the final day, when Christ returns, when the believer sees Christ, what's going to happen to the believer? That we are going to be like him because we're going to see him as he is. That means that Jesus in his glorified state, that when we see him on the final day, this process of our sanctification is going to be completed and this mortal body that we still have is going to be shed from us and we're going to get an immortal, imperishable body of glory and entirely and eternally we are going to be removed from sin forever. That's the promise that he is making here. Sin shall not have dominion over you now in this life. And one day, you're even going to shed this mortal body where sin still remains. So that it's not going to be a part of your existence, period, anymore, forever. And he says, really the thing that makes it work in the last part of verse 14, since, or here's the basis, since you are not under law, but under grace. Do you know what it means to live under the law? It means this. If you live under the law, then you are obligated to obey the law of God as a means by which you become right with God. If you live under the law, it means that your only hope for eternity with God, your only hope for salvation is that you have to save yourself by perfectly living according to every aspect of God's law. And of course, the problem with that is that no one has done that. That's why Scripture says, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Cursed is everyone who doesn't continue to do everything written in the book of the law. That's talking about a person living under the law. A law, the law curses you. It's not bad in itself, but it becomes a curse because we don't abide by it. But what Paul says is the reason that you can be saved is because you've been taken out from under the law. It's not your job to obey the law anymore. If you're a believer, that is not your reality. You are now living under grace, not under law. And here's what grace does. Grace 
gives righteousness as a gift, not as a result of what you do. Grace says, Jesus' righteousness is available to you and will be given to you if you only put your faith in Him and in His sufficiency and in what He did to live a perfect life and His death for your sins and resurrection to new life. And you put your faith in Him and what happens is you come out from under the law because the requirements of the law are met in Him and now you can come under grace so that it's free and lavished and eternal and unlimited. And so, Paul here, remember where he began in verse 1 of chapter 6. He is addressing the argument of those who were insulting and taking shots at his doctrine of free justification or free righteousness by grace. Those that said this, man, if grace wins the day, let's just go out and sin so that grace would increase. And so he has been building this argument from verse 1 down to verse 14. To say this, how in the world could you arrive at such a conclusion? It's a horrific conclusion. It is ludicrous because you are made brand new. You're taken totally out of the realm. You're made brand new in Christ so that His death once and for all to sin is your death. And His resurrection to new life is yours. Just as much as it's true of Him, it's true of you. Now you have all the power of God at your disposal to live how He wants you to live. No longer are you sin slave. No longer are you under the dominion of sin. No longer are you under the rule and reign of sin. No longer are you going to have to pay for sin and carry around its hopelessness anymore. So if that's true of you, why in the world would you be talking about continuing to sin? You see, that's his logic here. And don't miss it. The point that he has called us to today is simply this. Based upon this incredible, central, keystone doctrine of Christianity, this doctrine about the believer's union with Christ, based upon the truth of what he has said from Romans 5.12 to Romans 6.12, here is what you should do, follower of Christ. You need to come based upon that understanding to a moment in time where you bring yourself to God in a decisive moment and an act of your will and you present yourself to God and say, God, oh, 
I, you know, I committed myself to you and I put my faith in your son, but I understand much better now, having heard about this doctrine, I understand really what is mine and what's available to me and who I am. And so what I'm doing based upon the unbelievable mercy and grace through your son, I am bringing myself holistically to you and saying, I'm yours. I am yours. I am not my own. And not only in a general way, I want to give you my eyes for righteousness sake. I want to give you my tongue for righteousness sake. I want to give you my mind and the desires of my heart and what I do with my hands and where I go with my feet and how I spend my money and on and on. I am giving them all to you to be used for your righteousness. Have you done that? Have you done that? Oh, I'd encourage you to do so. Not some emotional appeal. It is an intelligent response and a decisive action based upon the truth of your union with Christ. It is the only reasonable response. That does not mean that in the future, if you do that, that you're never going to present anything to God again because you've done it. That's not what it's saying. But you need to get to the point where you are so fully convinced of the reality of your union and what it means that you just come and in a full yielding, and in a moment of surrender, you say, it is all yours. Everything as a whole and every piece of the whole is yours. Would you please take it and use it for your glory? And when you do that, I believe that it's going to be Spirit of God will speak to you more clearly when you're about to use one of your members for unrighteousness. doesn't mean you're not going to be tempted anymore. You might be tempted more because the enemy is going to hate you doing that. But God wants you to do it. God wants you to do it. Would you please stand? I don't, I don't know what that's going to look like for each one of you. And I'm not going to try to, in a corporate sense, I mean, you certainly can do that at any moment. You can do it right now. But I'm not going to try to, in a corporate sense, lead you into that. Some of you might need to just go home and get in your bedroom and shut the door today. And get down on your face before God and deal with God about that. He's leading you to do what you need to do. Let's pray. Father, I just am grateful for the clarity of your word. Thank you for how you've been speaking to my heart this week so strongly and praying that just the words of my mouth would be used for your purposes.
accomplish your will in the hearts of those that are here for your glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you.